Um, so you'll have to bear with me just a little bit. Our brother Glenn Alsop was supposed to present this little part today, and then he, he lost his voice. Um, the rumor is that uh, he, he did that because he was yelling at his favorite college football team. And so if uh, any of you know the uh, Tennessee Volunteers, uh, they probably deserve a lot of yelling, so we're not surprised. Um, for our visitors here on behalf of the church leadership, uh, we are so happy that you're here with us. We are truly uh, just... We're just truly, truly uh, blessed by your presence. Uh, so I'm going to have to read just a little bit as I wasn't quite as prepared as I would like to be. But as we worship our Heavenly Father this morning, uh, we want to give thanks to the opportunity that we've been given to serve in this community of Mission Viejo for 50 years and our plan to serve for 50 more. We're also very blessed to have a number of the congregation's original leadership that still worships with us here today, and they're an active part of our church family. At this time, they're gonna be mad at me, we're gonna do this. I'd like to ask Bob and Brenda Crawford, Chuck and Karen Vicker, and Ray and Kay Ann McPeak to please stand. All right. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, they, they are still here, and they are as active as ever, uh, working in ministries, leading ministries, and just doing amazing things. And so we're, we're very grateful for, our, for all of the things that you have done and all of the things that you continue to do and the love and grace and mercy that you show all of us. Additionally, throughout the years, we've had a number of very special ministers, uh, Jeff Walling being one of them. Jeff has spent his life preaching the gospel throughout the country. He has uh, had a very positive impact here at Mission Viejo and continues to stay close to us and support us through his current role at Pepperdine University. And with that, it's my pleasure to introduce our brother, Jeff Walling. It is just about impossible to really share with you the surreal nature of being here this morning. I never knew what it would feel like to be Marty McFly <laughs> and take a trip back to the future. But as I stepped onto the property, no, before that, as my wife and I drove down Crown Valley from where we used to live, as we drove up Marguerite Parkway, as we turned into this piece of property, we were flooded with memories. Memories of wonderful blessings for which we can never repay. Friendships. And I was unprepared for parking and getting out and immediately being confronted by people that I knew so well, whose names I could stinking not remember. And most of them were gracious enough to walk up and, and reintroduce themselves, although some of you tested me. Do you remember me? I'm 65 years old. No, I don't remember you. No, there were many that I did remember, and mostly it was faces and memories. And then this wonderful wall, if you haven't had a chance to take a look at it. Let me speak to those who maybe uh, have come to be part of the Mission Viejo Church of Christ within the last few years. You have come to an amazing place. You've come to a place 
that only exists because of God's work through people whom you may never meet, although there are some of them that are here that I hope you do meet and get to know. You've come to a place where Christ has been lifted up for half a century. But in some ways, that half a century has gone by like that. Can I get all my wrinkled homies to give an amen to that note? (laughs) You turn around twice, and it just seems to vanish. I mean, how how do you understand half a century of history? Catherine, as we were preparing to come down here, and let me say thank you to the shepherds for allowing me to preach on this wonderful Sunday and to be part of this great celebration. It's an honor. She said, you realize it's been 25 years since we left the Mission Viejo Church of Christ and nearly 40 years since we first came here. I came here only three months after getting married to the most beautiful and bright and wonderful Christian woman. I had somebody come in today and they said, somebody asked me, why are you here? And he said, I'm here to see Chris, uh, Catherine Walling. That's what I'm here to see. And I, um, I, I thought back and couldn't help but be just a little personal. What does uh, 40 years look like? Well, may I show you? That's my wife and I. Just as we were getting prepared, we were on our anniversary and thinking about what God had in the future for us just a couple of months later. This picture was taken just before we made our exit from Mission Viejo, at least a a couple of years before. And yes, both sets of hair are real that you're looking at right there. (laughs) And you snap your fingers in one more photo And this is my wife and I with uh, some friends, the Bryans, that some of you may remember, Blair and Karen. And in December, we ran a half a marathon with them in Northern California. I just had to drop that. Uh, (laughs) And I made it through heart attack free, and my wife beat me by quite a ways in that run. This church is not in a half marathon, nor even a full marathon. This church is here till Jesus comes. Can I get a oh yeah? This place has been the home for so many to learn about Christ. I can remember baptisms that took place in that building just over there when that was the place where we met and worshipped. And even times when we kind of did an outdoor baptism for one vacation Bible school. Oh, the memories that come flooding back, and I know some of you are already beginning to walk that trail with me. When I think about the 13 years that God blessed us to be here, and I wanted to bring you a word of greeting from Pepperdine University, and congratulations to the church. I received a note from the vice chancellor of Pepperdine University, who could not be here today because of other commitments. His name is familiar to some of you, Rick Gibson. He was the children's minister at this church, also working with the seniors when I was here. Rick sent the following. Agnes and I are grateful to have shared in 11 years of your 50 years of ministry. Our time at Mission Viejo was formative and full of rich memories and many blessings. On behalf of Pepperdine University, thank you for 50 years of faithful service in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in Southern California. May your light continue to shine brightly 
for many years to come. If you're new here, I hope that you will take time to just ask some of the folks who are guests here and say, just tell me a story. Tell me about this place that I've come to love maybe in the last two or three or five or seven years. Because that's what God's people do. They share stories. There's a passage in Psalm 107 that says, Let the redeemed of the Lord share their stories with the next generation. And part of what I've been asked to do today involves that. It's hard to capture the blessings that this church has been to so many. They all come from God. But Paul may give us a little clue on how to do that when in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, a verse that so many of us love, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. I don't know if you've ever actually taken a moment to think about what rejoicing is. Joy is that which you experience in a time when God does something wonderful in your life. My middle son, Riley, my Catherine, I can't believe we came here, a young, mar young married couple three months in, and we left here as a family of three boys. Riley's wife is about to bring our fourth grandchild into the, into the world. Not right now, or I wouldn't be here. No, it's, uh, it's going to be in January, another little girl, Lord willing, added to the family. That will be a day of joy. But every time I see my sons, I read. Joyce. It's bas basically recycling joy. It is remembering what God has done and re-enjoying it. I hope today you can even take a moment right now and rejoice in the Lord. For me, rejoicing meant thinking back about the many other fine men who have stood not just in this exact same spot, but in various buildings and sometimes at a local school. When Charles Stansel was called to be a blessing to this place. When Rick Gibson joined me here after I partnered with Charles for several years. Raymond Schultz, who was a youth minister. Or Jeff Martin, who has already gone on to be with the Lord, who was a, a worship leader and a youth minister here. Kirk McCrary, who followed me, and John Beeman, and Steve Smith, and Jason Darden, and, and Aaron Stevens, and Michael Wexler, and other names which I will be corrected about later because I could not remember them without one of Bob Crawford's charts that showed when everything happened. <laughs> and I should have just cried uncle and said, Bob, just send it to me. But I thought, here are these names. And though you may not know them, God knows their names. And he knows how he used them to bless this community. And all of the shepherds, I came and sat down here on the front row next to Hugo Fruhoff. And it was Hugo and Ray and Bob that did their best to try and straighten out a feisty young 26, 27-year-old who landed here thinking he knew everything. And slowly but surely, they helped me to understand, you know so little, boy. And they helped me to grow. And their wives, who loved and encouraged. And others, as deacons, as ministry leaders, as folks who taught my children here. As folks who loved this community so much that they started Marguerite Christian 
school, the Mission Viejo Christian Preschool right here, which served so many children, mine included. The youth rallies that took place out, well, pardon me, out there, we are here. I, I, I mean, back in the day before this building was built, one of the elderly ladies sewed a giant colorful tarp that we pulled over the top to provide shade for on some weekends 600 young people and adults who would gather. There were at times scores of baptisms on Sunday mornings, vacation Bible schools that morphed into Christian children's theater workshop. And I can't help but mention Tony Clark sitting here today who along with so many others helped to lead a program that at one point brought Two or three hundred children to this building to tell the story of Joseph or Esther or Moses. Uh, you can see some of the pictures out there and just chat with some folks. I remember, I've got to tell this, I remember shaking the hands of a gentleman who I thought looked familiar at one of the performances that the children did. And I said, I think I know you. And he said, yes, uh, I'm Rick Munchow. I'm the worship leader for Saddleback Church. And I said, wow, what an honor. What brings you here? He said, that's my son up there in the left in the duck suit. Um, <laughs> we brought him here because of this wonderful program. And if you know anything about Saddleback Valley Church, it, it, I mean, this amazing church just down the block, just a little bit bigger than Mission Viejo. <laughs> but how wonderful that this pastor from there said, I love what you're doing for the next generation. And this church has always had its eye from the preschool to the VBS to the youth rallies and the conferences to the things that were done with the children's music company singing over in the mall. All of that about saying, God, this is not for us. It is to pass the baton to the children who gave a contribution just a few moments ago. Can you rejoice with me? about all of those sweet memories, the enthusiasm, the teaching, the outreach that this church has been blessed to do by God. And He is present. And of all, I think He's the one that deserves our round of applause, if you will. Thank you, Lord. But one cannot stop with simply looking over the shoulder and saying, thank you, God, for what you've done. Because God's story is never finished. There's always a next chapter. There's always another family. That family has moved here to Mission Viejo, but I don't know their name. I just know that uh, some company pulled them here, or maybe they put the finger on the map and said, what a wonderful place to raise our kids. Maybe they got a good deal on a house. No, that didn't happen, but... <laughs> Somehow, they were able to afford coming and living in this gorgeous place. And in a week or two, they're going to say, did you see that church? I mean, the parking lot was packed the other day. I mean, maybe we ought to visit. And they're going to meet the brand new minister here at the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. God bless you, Brother Haygood. And I pray that things just go so well for the next chapter and know that the baton that you hold will be passed on, we pray, to who knows. Maybe one of these teens that's sitting here or maybe somebody who's up at Pepperdine University just now studying in ministry. For it is not ours to hold or keep 
but it is ours to hold out and say, may I tell you about my Jesus? May I tell you about life? May I love you as God has called me to love my neighbor is to love myself. And so what, what would I say? Where would I turn? And I turned to some of Paul's words, not in Philippians, but in 2 Corinthians. And I read these words with a, with a tinge of sadness. Therefore, we do not, can you say the words with me, lose heart. It would be wonderful if all the memories of our times at Mission Viejo or whatever church you grew up in were great memories. Everybody did the right thing. Can I get a oh yeah? We never got sideways with one another or got frustrated or irritated or planted new churches by splitting an old church. We never had those moments when we maybe dealt with one another just a little less Christ-like ways than we maybe should. Oh, we did. And our history here, well, we all praise Abraham for leaving his country and people and going to a land that God would show him, but then he also lied about who his wife was and tried to give her to Pharaoh. But that's not the story you tell on the 50th anniversary day, right? Moses, the great leader, saw the, the waters of the Red Sea part. He, he, he took down dictation from God and gave the Ten Commandments out. But he also killed this guy back in the day. But let's just not put that in the Christmas letter. We won't talk about David's peccadilloes. And we best not chat about the fact that the man who first stood, not in a pulpit, but stood up on the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter, saying, Oh, men and brethren, here's what to do. Repent and be baptized. The first guy ever to offer that holy gospel invitation was also the guy who, when a woman, a young lady, said to him at the fire, Hey, don't you know Jesus? He cursed and said, No, 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 not me. Isn't it wonderful that God loves to use broken people? Amen. Isn't it amazing that God uses us? And most of the mistakes that were made here, I'll say, were not by the elders, but by the ministers. Let me just go ahead and get that off my chest. And Paul says, well, there might be a tendency for Satan to whisper in your ear, oh, man, those golden days. Oh, do you remember when? And while on the one hand we praise God for golden days that, of course, weren't as golden as we think they were, we also look ahead. And some in our culture, some in our churches, are looking ahead with a, a heavy heart. What's going to happen? The kinds of things that have occurred in our world over the last well, goodness, over the last 12 months, over the last 12 years, over the last several decades, might leave us saying, oh, I just, I mean, look at this. It's difficult for us to get together. Is, is, is it this way with your family? That you get together, Thanksgiving, Christmas, somebody's birthday, and before you know it, the topic turns to something that's happening around the world or in Washington, D.C., or what some state is doing because they're frustrated about 
illegal immigrants or how some politician has responded with the truth or not the truth, with news or fake news, of how people are being marginalized and mistreated or how uh, values that we always held to are being challenged. And soon we lose heart. We begin to just throw up our hands. As someone said to me the other day, well, I tell you what, I'm just glad I'm not a young person in this world. And while I understood, it also broke my heart. Here is our challenge. Therefore, do not, say it with me, lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Just look around at some of the people you remember from the old days. <laughs> Though outwardly we are wasting away. I, I, I see dear friends like Hugo. Although I think your hair was white when you were my elder 20 or 30 years ago. Or Ray. Or I even look back at Kent Burtis Rhodes with gray around the temples or Bob, you and Brenda are actually doing pretty good, I, I got to say. <laughs> but when you walk up and see me and say, oh man, Jeff, bless his heart. I'm doing nothing but trying to follow Scripture. The Bible says outwardly we are wasting away. I'm trying to live out that verse <laughs> and then live out this one. Yet inwardly, read it with me. Yet inwardly, we are being what? Everybody say renewed. renewed. Yeah, say it like you're renewed. Renewed. We are being renewed day by day for these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do you do, Walling, when things are so tough? Well, Paul said there are moments when the only thing you can do is we fix our eyes not on what is seen, because there are moments when what is seen will break your heart or make you throw up. Can I get an oh yeah? I, I cannot fix my eyes just on what is seen. But he says on what is unseen. As lovely as this beautiful facility is. As beautiful as this part of Southern California is. This is not where we place our hope. One day, this beautiful building will be so old. One day, there will be those saying, oh my goodness, we just got to. Well, one day, the whole thing's going to burn up in a great fire. <laughs> and I'm not talking about a California version. But rather, the way the Scripture says, you know, it's anything that you can touch has got an expiration date on it. But here's what he says. For what is seen is temporary. So we embrace the reality of that. We embrace that churches aren't maybe quite like they used to be. We embrace that the music that's sung someplace, that's just bad. I'm so glad. And this morning, oh my goodness, thank you, Brandon, for some of the old songs. I was sitting there and went, wow, I haven't sung this in forever. And I could hear my 
I could hear my voice and think back to times when I sang that here or when, when we went to Charlotte and sang some of those songs with the congregation there. And then you sang some songs I did not know. And I don't appreciate that. <laughs> we were doing so good before we got to those new songs and then all of a sudden... He says, let me tell you, Jeff, what you see is temporary. So don't wed yourself to a song or a songbook or a moment. But wed yourself to what is unseen. And it's worthy of you saying, excuse me, what do you mean what's unseen? Those things which you cannot see. So I'm going to take a very dangerous move. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. Some had already done that earlier in the lesson. You can just join them. And just, would you please just close your eyes? Because with your eyes closed, you're not distracted by what you see. But will you look with me for just a moment at what we cannot see? That which is eternal first is God. The scripture tells us from beginning to end. He is everlasting. God has no start date and no finish date. And yet we cannot see him. Nobody can bring you a selfie of God or show you a scan of the Lord. Paul says what is unseen? That's eternal. Keep your eyes closed. Let me show you something else unseen. Your soul. You can x-ray you, MRI you, CAT scan you all day long, but they can't get a picture of it. And yet deep within us we know there is something placed there by God, made in His image, intended for eternity. How we care for our soul. How we feed our soul. How we nurture our soul. I believe has eternal value. And what about eternity with God? We can't see it. No artist can sketch it. No painter can draw it. Even with a graphic tablet, you can't give me a picture of heaven because we can't see it. And yet, I don't know about you, but there were moments this morning when we were singing together that I could feel it and wonder what will it be like to be in the place we want to be with the one we want to be with our Heavenly Father and King, Savior, Jesus. Open your eyes, if you would. I hope just a moment that um, kind of ham-handed pedagogy there helped you to say, okay, there's something real Paul is trying to get me through the inspiration to think about that I cannot just focus on the here and now. But Jeff, I'm not going to let you get away without addressing the fact of how hard it is to keep going. I mentioned running a, a half marathon, and I really need to be very clear for all the journalists here. Run is a kind of metaphorical term, <laughs> including almost any kind of forward movement, walking, crawling. 
My wife, of course, holds all the badges in our family for running. She's run 12 marathons, including the Boston Marathon, and you can pat her on the back, and she is hating right now that I'm telling on her in this way. But there was a time when I thought I might run a marathon. It was a moment of temporary insanity after watching Catherine run one, and some of you have heard me before tell the story of how excited I was seeing her cross the finish line, cheering for her. And then when we got home and I said, babe, you know, I, I, might, I might like to do that. Do you think I could do that? And my sweet, loving wife lied to me. <laughs> and said, why, sure, baby, if you, if you, if you want to, you, you can. And I bought the shorts and the running shirt and the tennis shoes and we went out to the YMCA track. It didn't take very long for the Lord to kind of speak to me <laughs> through my side and my lungs and my knees and my back and communicate clearly, Jeff, 26.2 miles. That's why I let Henry Ford invent the car. I only, uh, I only ran a little ways around the track that night and got irritated, angry, and quite frankly, uh, pretty grumpy. I sat down on a curb. Catherine came over and stopped, and I said, just keep running. You got this. Keep running. And I were watching people going by, some of them older than me. And I went up, and I sat in the car, and it was not my best moment. And when she got done with her lap, she came up and got in the car, and I'll never forget saying... How in the world do you run 26.2 miles of that? I didn't even hardly get in one mile. And I'm exhausted and my lungs hurt. And she said, sweetie, you can't think about it that way. You can't think about 26.2 miles. You just got to run the next step. Just one more step. That's the secret to going the distance to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ, to my brothers and sisters from congregations all over, to friends who I just haven't met yet. May I bring you a word from God that if we fix our eyes on what is unseen, we must also decide that we will, in the scene, run one more step, make the next right choice, the next day of faithfulness, the next day of seeking to have integrity, the next day of loving my neighbor as I love myself, the next day of being confused but saying, I trust in God and bowing my head and seeking wisdom and guidance and hope and peace from Him. Can I get an oh yeah from anybody who's there with me? Then may I invite you to recognize that losing heart happens not because you run too hard. I believe it happens when you sit down on the curb and just say, I'm done. I just can't. And may the words of Paul and the words of St. Catherine encourage you today. I don't know what the next step 
is for you. And if you say, man, I just, I need that motivation, please know that I'm afraid I've been part of dealing out in years past some motivations that may not have been best. And confession's good for the soul. It was article written in a Christian magazine about what motivates people. And let me finish with this set of principles. By the way, I'm a big believer in recycling. This is from a lesson I taught at Mission Viejo 30 years ago. It said, they said there were three basic things that motivate people. The first is fear. We run away from the snake. We rush uh, away from somebody who's chasing us to hurt us. Fear will get you moving. Can I get it? Oh, yeah? Someone says, well, I grew up with a great deal of fear in the church. Now, let me be clear. In Scripture, the fear of the Lord is a positive thing. In fact, the proverb writer says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and discipline. But while the fear of the Lord is something that none of us want to lose, it is the, and I want to highlight the word, beginning of knowledge. Not the ultimate maturity. I, I raised three boys. I understand the power of fear. I wanted them to fear the street in front of our house. I wanted them to fear the traffic. Not in an absurd or unhealthy way. But when I caught my son Taylor with a fork trying to pry off the plastic cover on an electric socket at about two or three years of age, maybe four, I panicked and screamed. He'd seen his mom and I take it off and plug something in and take it off and plug something in. And he was a very bright child in some ways. And... <laughs> And he was trying to get that off to see what was in there. Think about this. You come in and your child has a metal fork jamming it into an electric socket. I screamed. I ran over to him. I grabbed the fork out of his hand. And I smacked his hand. He said, oh my goodness. He, he didn't understand. Oh, he understood then. Because in that moment, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, listen, please be clear. I'm not trying to give you any license to smack your spouse when they aren't listening to you. <laughs> or to harm anybody. But, but I, I was just trying to get some fear into him. I had a lady one time say, you should, after this lesson, you should have just explained it to him. I assume she had no children. And I tried to envision myself kneeling in front of a three or four-year-old going, Buddy, um, there's two little pieces of metal in that thing called uh, conductors. And they go all the way to Duke Power that is sending us um, uh, electricity, about 110 volts and 60 cycles, back and forth, back and forth. And that fork has electrons in it, just like the metal conductors. And if you touch it to that, it's going to conduct into your hand all the way up to your heart. Your heart's going to all of a sudden get excited, probably go into arrhythmia. And when it does, you're going to fall over and go into what's called a coma. And when you do that, and, and, and your heart's not pumping, then blood cells in your brain are going to start to die. And when brain cells die, there's no more to replace them. And after a while, you'll probably, you'll probably just close your eyes and you'll die and mommy will be upset so don't stick the fork no 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 I did not do that I put a little bit of fear into him and when he looked at me like that I was happy 
there is such a thing as a holy and proper fear of God. But I'm afraid at times we have made that the most important motivator and maybe even got stuck there. Because this article in a magazine called Omni, I don't know if they still print Omni or not, but this article said that fear was one of the, the key but low motivators. And the next level up was reward. Does this work on any of y'all? How many will go to work tomorrow because of a reward? Would you be honest if you got the email from your boss? Listen, we've had such, COVID has been tough. We've had such financial losses. For the next six months, we will not be able to pay you. But we would really appreciate it if you would continue to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not a chance. Reward is powerful. And God uses it. The Bible says... I press on toward the goal, Paul writing here again in Philippians, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Yes, looking towards the future. Yes, seeing hope and life and a reward is a motivator. But folks, please hear me. Fear and reward will never motivate and move you to do what God is calling us to do in the world today. Oh, fear, yes, uh, God uses it. I don't want to go to hell. Reward, yes, he motivates us. I long for and look forward to heaven. But finally, you know what the most powerful one is. The number one motivator, the one that can bring a, the strongest man to his knees in tears or cause a woman to rush into a burning house to save a child. It's love. But here's where I goofed up. I'm afraid in past, as a preacher, I harped on my love, your love. Do you love the Lord? Oh, if you love God, then this is what you'll do. But the love I believe that will motivate us. Go ahead and put the text up if you would. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, that isn't, isn't that the love? No, I actually think that's the response. And it is only the response when we know how much God loves us in the words of Christ as the fathers loved me so have I loved you there are many things in life that can cause us to forget how loved we are by God losses frustrations fears times when we get hurt maybe even by the church And I pray that this day, the food that's waiting, the celebration we're going to have, the hugging of one another and the swapping of old stories, in the center of that we'll feel, God, thank you. And this happens because you love us. You love us so much you'd be willing to give your son for us. Oh, I'd taught that before I came to Mission Viejo. I was a youth minister and served down at the Newland Street Church of Christ for several years but at Mission Viejo, I learned to teach it totally differently. Not actually due to this church or this place. But due to a hospital that's just down the road. I remember so clearly. Standing in a room. Holding my wife's hand. And praying, dear God, do not let me faint. And do not let me throw up. Because I was about to witness the birth of our child. I don't, I, I, it's blood, any of that. It's just, it's just, it's not my spiritual gift. It's just tough. 
and standing there after having seen the movies. You know the films they show you? Guys, when you get married, don't, don't, don't even watch the films. Just don't do it. They can't prepare you for what you're about to see. The only babies that I had seen were the pictures of the ones on the Gerber jar who look beautiful. And I had tried to steal myself when a friend showed me a picture of his brand new daughter. He's just a couple years older than me, and the picture was taken at the moment after birth. His daughter looked horrendous. <laughs> she was covered in blood. She must have had a hard time getting out because her head was like a number two pencil. It was just, a, just a, like a point. The doctor was holding her. All, she looked like a bloody lizard, basically, being held in his hand. And when he showed me the picture, realized this before Discovery Channel, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And he said, what do you mean? She's beautiful. This, and I said, you've got to be kidding me. And he said, do you not know anything about this? I remember him telling me about this only a year or so before I end up standing in the hospital down here. Ready for the bloody lizard to show up. That's my boy. <laughs> oh, man, I just had a flashback of the, there's a hallway over there that used to be the lobby. And there was a guy here named Scott Franklin. Um, Scott was a big old southern, southern guy. And, and Catherine and I, we were anticipating, you know, pregnancy and all of this. And one of the guys said, hey, Jeff, you're going to cut the cord. You're going to cut the cord. And I'm like, oh, no, I, I'll leave that to the doctor. I don't, I don't want to mess it up and give him a weird outie or something, you know. No, I, 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 I don't want to cut the cord. Oh, man, you got to go in. I cut the cord. He cut the cord. you got to cut the cord. Scott walked by and leaned over and said, you know, where I come from, real men bite it off. And then just walked away. <laughs> So I'm standing in that room, and the doctor's saying, push, and I'm holding Catherine's hand, and after quite a bit of pushing, that doctor swiveled around and said, Mr. Walling, meet your, meet your boy. There's only one love at first sight that I believe in, and it is that moment when you see that sweet, precious child. My dad was gone. He died when I was 21, so he never met Taylor. My mom was sitting out in the waiting room. And all I wanted to do, yeah, he was covered in blood. Nurses were stepping over and beginning to wipe him. And, and the cord had kind of wrapped around his neck, so they weren't even going to let me keep him very long. But I just thought, oh, I just want, I just want my mom to see my boy. I just wanted to just rush out of, oh, the cord. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> the doctor cut it and my wife said, may I see the child? <laughs> we cried and we prayed. And if you would, will you freeze that picture? And may I ask you this question? Do you know how much you love your child? Can all the parents just say, mm-hmm? I mean, on the good days. I mean, on the best days. I mean, when you're holding them like a little baby, do you know how much you love them? That was the day, the moment, that the verse that I had said since VBS knocked me spiritually to my feet. For God 
so loves you that he gave his son. Jesus says, as the Father's loved me, so I've loved you. And he goes on to say, and that love you better give away. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jeff, how am I supposed to do that? He says, you do it this way. You just remember what God has given to you. Because love will motivate you way past fear or reward or guilt or duty or anything else. And all that believe say, would you bow your head? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this beautiful celebration. Thank you for singing and worship for one by one these sweet students from Pepperdine being here. Thank you for all who prepared and set aside funds and, and, and got everything ready and invited all of us. But Lord, as we gather today, as we finish this service, as we celebrate outside, as we tell stories, God, may every story and every mem memory be rooted in the fact of how you love us so so, so much. And God, for any here, whether they're 10 or 11 or 60 or 90, who have never accepted that love, have never said, I want to be your son, I want to be your holy daughter. Father, who have never been baptized into Jesus Christ, the forgiveness for their sins. Father, will you give them, even today, the courage when this service concludes to find to find one of the shepherds here or to, or to find some of the ministers to just grab really just about anybody and say, man, I, I, I want to know more about this because it is our greatest privilege to share Jesus with others. And Father, today we pray we don't just wait to do it in this building. But God, for those who live here in this community, I pray they'll be back next week. <laughs> Father, I pray that there will be folks from this church that will invite somebody to come and meet and hear their new minister. I pray this building will once again ring with the sounds of praise. And until Jesus comes, we'll be saying over and over again, there's a God who so loves you. Don't lose heart. And in Jesus' name we pray, come Lord Jesus, and we all say, Amen. Let's stand and sing together. How do you explain, how do you describe a love that goes from east to west and runs as deep as it is wide? You know all our hopes, you know all our fears, and words can now express the love we but we long for you to be So listen to our hearts Hear our spirits singing A song of praise that flows From those who have redeemed We will use the words we know To tell you what Words could fall like rain from these lips.